Well, uh, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, uh, I'm going to be in Matthew 9. Matthew 9. Let me ask, uh, as you turn there, Matthew is, by the way, the first book in the New Testament. I hope you track that down. Uh, let me ask you to rewind in your head to maybe one of the most stressful days you've ever had in, in terms of work. And it was, it, it was stressful not because of a surprise, but like the day started. It was on your calendar. All of the things on your to-do list, all of the busyness, it, it was just a lot. It just sort of overwhelmed. Have you ever had a day like this? No, you guys. Okay, so just me. I tend to get stressed out. Uh, no, I think I think it's universal that sometimes the just the way that everything aligns and you know the needs of this person and the job requirement and then that one monthly report that is due that there's this one day that comes every few months and it's just there's more to do in that day than there is day to get it done. Uh, those are really really stressful days. Um, I'm reminded of this because uh, Facebook, being the gift that it is, is that it gives you Facebook memories. And yesterday. Uh, was the anniversary of one such day like that that was about 12 years ago that it was the b- crazy busy day for me. It was so busy that that I knew waking up how busy it was that I took a picture of the energy drinks that are going to get me through the day um, because I just knew if everything worked exactly as it was scheduled that day, I'm going to leave my house at four in the morning. I'm going to travel over two hours in one di- uh, one way direction. Then I have the two hour drive back and I'm going to do uh, some kind of seminar presentation I'm going to go visit some of the homes out in this area. And if everything worked exactly the way it was planned, I would be pulling back up at my house about 9.30 that night. It was just going to be a long day. And so these energy drinks, this is the Facebook memory, they're, they're five-hour energies. And I'm doing the math. I'm like, but I've got like 14 hours I'm trying to get by. The, the five plus five, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It's a dumb joke because that's not how energy drinks work. But I, re, I read the Facebook post. I was like, oh my gosh, man. When I was a social worker, I was, I was going. Like it was, it was busy. And, and I just, I just want to admit that like, not only do I have days like that, not only do you have days like that, but today we're going to look at a day like that in the day of Jesus. I wonder, do you have a picture of Jesus that can get really stressed out with the busyness of the day? Or is your picture like, to be fair, my picture of Jesus is more often than, well, he's fully God. And so he's never overwhelmed and he just walks around. He's very peaceful, even though the demands keep coming at him. But when you read the stories of Jesus in scripture, as they stack up, they get really, really busy. And so Matthew 9 is essentially one really, really long day in the life of Jesus with a lot of demands that are going on. And at the end of the busyness of the day, you have almost, I'm going to read it almost as like an exasperated, like trying to catch your breath moment of Jesus where he's looking around, he's surveying the need, and he makes some statements about like, this is, this is what this is a picture of. Jesus is going to paint a picture of when you're at the end of your day and there's more left on your to-do list than there is you left to do it, what does that mean for you? What, what are you supposed to do with that information when, when you just don't have enough? And if, if you're a parent, you should be sitting on the edge of your seat right now because that's like a daily occurrence in parenting. If you are new in your career, that's got to be a daily occurrence in your career as you're learning the newness. If you are just struggling with the, with the heartbreak that you see in the world around you, just as a follower of Jesus, you're just brokenhearted for so many things around you. What are you supposed to do when the amount of things that are breaking your heart is more than you actually have heart to do something? with. 
Jesus is going to try to answer that. Well, try. I'm going to try to teach you what Jesus answers. He does a great job of answering it. It's my inability to teach that may get in the way. And so I want to, I want to unpack this. We're, we're in this series called Some Disassembly Required because what we're wanting to do is identify things that are either in us or in our community that are making it hard to see God. And if I had to just, you know, maybe I can lay the thesis on the table. Sometimes it's really hard to see God through Jesse because Jesse tends to act like the whole world depends on him. And he tends to get in the way and not just say, I'm exhausted. I need a break. I need, I need to, I need to rest. Maybe what Jesse needs to do oftentimes is just to admit to people around him that he's a human. Maybe that's something that we could all admit that it's not really all up to me. So we're, we're going to unpack this. I'm going to be at the end of chapter nine, but, uh, just as a way of setting this up, I want to, I want to recall a few things. If, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, some of this is going to ring a bell. Chapter nine opens with, uh, Jesus getting out of a boat after speaking, uh, across the, the, the sea. Uh, you may know some of these stories where there's a storm on the, on the waters and the disciples are freaked out and Jesus calms the storm. Well, immediately after that, uh, he gets out of the boat and he heals a paralytic. The first thing that happens is he sees this, 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 uh, this man who's, who's paralyzed. He heals them uh, and he, you know, pick up your bed and go home. And so, and so he goes. Then after that, he goes to Matthew. If you were here two weeks ago, you'll remember that. He goes to Matthew, the tax collector. I want you to follow me. He follows him. He's like, Jesus, I want to throw a party for you. So he invites all of his friends, the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus goes to a party and you have, you have little, little Pharisees. You have people that are talking behind Jesus's back and Jesus addresses that. So even in this moment of good news, Jesus is having to deal with the stress of yeah, people, people behind him whining. And then as the party is winding down, two other guys show up, some disciples of this other guy. It's like, hey, why is it that we fast, but you don't? Why, why is worship different here? And so Jesus stops what he's doing and he answers those questions. It was beautiful where Jesus is like, stop playing the comparison game because context matters and what they're doing is right and what you're doing is right because this is there's nuance here to, to be had. When Jesus finishes that conversation, uh, in verse 18, uh, you would see if, if we were reading through all this, uh, he's leaving the party, uh, and someone comes to him and says, uh, my, my child uh, is sick. Come, come, come help my child. My child's going to die. And so Jesus is like, I'm going to go heal your child. On the way to healing this man's child, another woman comes to him, a woman that, that has, uh, I forget the, the wording here, the, the issue of discharge, I think is how it's worded here. She is, is completely overwhelmed by her brokenness, goes and touches Jesus' garment. So there's a crowd of people. Jesus turns, he heals her, he talks, then he finishes, he goes and heals this daughter. Uh, anybody else in here, you're starting to get stressed out? Like if you were Jesus that day, if the world depended on you that day, you're like, that's a really long day. It keeps going. Jesus heals two blind men. To, as, as he finishes you know, saving this daughter from death, uh, he's walking away. Two blind men come to him and say, Jesus, help. I know that you have the power. I mean, if you can raise people from the dead, you have the power to heal us. And so Jesus heals the two blind men and then tells them, hey, I don't want you to go tell anybody. I think at this point, Jesus is, you know, it's a busy day. I don't need a lot more attention right now. I'm getting a lot. Don't go tell anybody. And the two blind men, in their excitement, ignore Jesus, and they go tell everybody. I can see, you know, the, who did this? That guy! And so the crowds are crowding in on Jesus more. Another guy comes to Jesus, and he's been unable to speak his entire life, and he's a mute, and Jesus gives him the power to heal. And even me just telling you the story, that is just one day in the life of Jesus. As Matthew tells it, it's, it's and then, and immediately after, and following this. And I'm, I'm out of breath just telling you how it happened. I can't imagine what the disciples were thinking. I can't imagine how tired Jesus must, did he have time to eat that day? I mean, maybe his only meal that day was the party that Matthew threw that people are arguing with him about. 
And so all of this busyness culminates at the end of chapter 9. And this is really what I wanted to teach two weeks ago, three weeks ago. But, but here we are. We finally made it. It says this, verse 35. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. As, as Matthew is summing up what Jesus has done and what he continues to do that day is that he just, he keeps going. And he goes, it says he goes through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When, I want to break down kind of all those little phrases in there and just kind of see, like, what did Jesus do? What was important to him? Well, he goes to all the cities and the villages. You know, as Jesus was doing his ministry, especially in moments of high stress when there's a lot of need, uh, if you're like me, what you start to look for is how can I get the most bang out of my buck? Like you look over all of the need and you have one need here, and but if I go this way, I have 10 needs here. I, I'm going to go through the most bang for my buck because, you know, I, there's limited me and there's limited time. It says that Jesus went to the cities and the villages. The cities is where you could get a really easy crowd and you can, you can just in one motion cover a large multitude of people. Uh, and I think a lot of pastors, a lot of, a lot of Christians in general just think bigger is better, more is more. It's all like up and to the right is where we need to go. And Jesus would at times go. He went to the cities, right? He went throughout all the cities and he taught about some stuff, but he also went to the villages where he'd have some one-on-one -on -one interactions with people where it would just be him and not so much of, of a crowd. Let me ask a question. Uh, for those of you who are followers of Jesus in the room, um, when you uh, first heard the gospel of Jesus, was it in some big stadium with one speaker and the lights was loud and it was beautiful and that was the moment you made a decision? For some people it is. But for most of you, if you rewound the clock back to the first time you were hearing about Jesus, is it not true that most of you it was a one-on-one -on -one conversation with grandpa or dad? or this, this guy at church, or this guy at work. It's, it's usually these one-on-one -on -one moments that are really small in stature. And Christians, we get, we get mixed up and we think, well, we've got to have the bigger platform. We've got to get louder. We've got to have more. Jesus went to the cities and the villages. And it says that he went into their synagogues to teach. Now, just a little history lesson. What is a synagogue? Why, why is Jesus teaching them? Synagogue is a Jewish place of worship that is a substitute for the temple. And so the temple is in Jerusalem, uh, and, and that's really where like the, the presence of God is. But the further out you go, you, you had like little churches that you would go worship in weekly. And so you go to the synagogue, and there would be someone there who would teach the Word of God to you, much like we do right now. You're here, and I'm teaching the Word of God to you. And someone would teach it to you. It's usually the, the rabbi who's assigned to that synagogue. And, and he would teach you the ways of God and the law so that you would know how to honor him, how to follow him, and want to worship him. It says that Jesus went to, to their synagogues. Um, a lot of us, we have this image of being a follower of Jesus, that once we get the right answers, once we know like this is what it looks like to honor him, then we sit back and we think, well, when people want to hear about it, they're going to what? They're going to come to us. Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He didn't just stand in the middle of the desert like some, some monk. And he's like, when you want to know the truth, you will come seek me out. Jesus went into the cities and the villages, and he went to their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom. Um, it continues, it says, proclaiming the, the gospel of the kingdom. This is, this is good news. The word gospel means good news. This is good news for all the people that he's preaching to. Now, there's, a, there's a, uh, several 
passages of Scripture I could turn to to, to kind of highlight this, but the message of Jesus is not anti-Jewishness. It's not anti-Judaism. It is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. He goes to the Jewish people who had the hope, kind of the beginnings of the hope, the message of what God was willing to do. And now he comes and he says, game on. The, the message of the kingdom is that God is now invading all of creation. And he's bringing good news to all of the broken people. That day that Jesus had, where everybody is asking something of him, come and heal my daughter. I'm blind, heal me. I'm sick. My entire life, I've been so sick. Please heal my people. The brokenness and the affliction is everywhere around him. And it's boom, beat after beat after beat. And then he, he announces, this is, this is the game plan of God that he is willing to invade your world with the good news of the kingdom, and, and he's going to take over. If you, if you have been, if you've ever been broken, if you've ever been in despair, if you've ever had you know, depression, anxiety, if you've ever had a brokenness that just is rotting at you, if you've ever been in a space where nobody accepted you and you were completely pushed onto the outside, do you want the message to be, find your way to Jesus and he'll make it better if you find him in the middle of the desert? Or do you want to know that he's actually willing to invade your world and bring the good news of the kingdom to you? This kingdom is this. It's completely upside down from everything else. The kingdom of God is that, that the weak are the ones who are lifted up. You don't have to be the strongest in the room. When, when you come to church, when you gather in church, we should be the, like an embassy of what the kingdom looks like. It should look like the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. When you go out there, your weakness is something that somebody can exploit. Your coworker can talk down on you, and then you have to stand up for yourself or you feel like you do. But the kingdom of God says this, know that, that we look out one for another. We carry our burdens to one another. James would say that we confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. The kingdom of God is upside down from the kingdom of the world. And Jesus came and he's preaching this gospel to them. And it says, in healing every disease and every affliction, that the way Matthew writes about healings and miracles, and you know, uh, if you were here for the John series, John uses it as signs. Like, these are signs of who the glory of, of God is on, that it's on Jesus. Matthew uses it as authority, that Jesus has the authority to look at you and say, you're not going to be sick anymore. And like, you have no choice but to obey him. The illness is like, uh, I bow to you, Lord Jesus, and just leaves your body. The blind man can see because out of the authority of Jesus, he can speak it. And if he has the authority to heal every affliction and every disease, then he has the authority to announce the kingdom of God is on the move, and he knows what he's talking about. We're supposed to read from this that Jesus must not be just a prophet or a really good teacher. We're supposed to hear from this that he really must be the Son of God invading our land. And so, and so what, what happens? After, after all this happens, what, what, do we, what do we get to? Verse 36. It says, When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're at the end of a really stressful day of Jesus. He's been healing, healing, healing. Brokenness is chasing him down. And he looks around and he, as Scripture says that he has, he has compassion on them. We, we've talked a lot about compassion as it comes up. Uh, it comes up in the prodigal son story. It comes up uh, in John 4 whenever he has compassion on the Samaritans. The, this idea of compassion is this idea of having a broken heart. Is there anything in this world that just breaks your heart? Like you look at it. You see, you see this, this kid in that situation. You, like you're not mad at him. They just break your heart. 
Uh, do, you, do you have someone in your life, a family member, a loved one, that when you think about their situation, when you think about the condition that they have, when you think about their affliction, their disease, their brokenness, that you're just like, it hurts. You have compassion. That word compassion is a compound word. Co meaning with, to partner with. Passion means suffering. To have compassion means to partner up and suffer alongside them. Another English word for compassion, this kind of compassion, might be the word uh, empathy. Empathy. Empathy is the ability to suffer alongside someone, to make sure that they're not sitting in their own brokenness and their own problems. It is not really the, the skill to come with a solution. You know, sometimes we want to have the solution and we, we were like, hey, I'll, I would sit with you in that pain. I would sit with you at that doctor's appointment. I would sit with you in your brokenness. If only I knew what to do. If only I had the solution. That's not empathy. That's sympathy. Uh, I want to I highlight the difference between empathy and sympathy for a moment because I, I feel like we have a lot of sympathy in our world and very, very little empathy. Sympathy is I see your pain. Empathy is, I feel your pain with you. Sympathy is, oh, that is terrible. Somebody should do something about that. Empathy is, I'm here, what can I do? Sympathy is, you write it on a card and you send it to someone and you just hope that it makes them feel better, but if nothing else, it at least made you feel better because it's sympathy. Empathy is, you're so brokenhearted, you're just weeping alongside someone. Their tears become your tears. Sympathy is cheap, and empathy is going to cost you. It's going to cost you pain. It's going to cost you heartbreak. And we live in a society that has so trained us to seek out comfort, to seek out spaces where we can do something, where we can be proactive, where if we feel like we have no utility and we feel like it's going to make us uncomfortable, what do we do? What do I do? I'll just be honest. I'm not going to talk about you. Here's what I do. Jesse, I'll look the other way. I want to I remove myself from it because it's causing me too much heartbreak. I live in a society, I live in the same society that you do. I live in a society that has taught me, hey, Jesse, like if it's hurting you, it's probably not good for you. I'm going to maybe, maybe go over here and distract myself, pretend I didn't see it, get my phone out and get to it. Jesus it says, it says that he looks at this crowd and he had compassion on them. His heart breaks for them. Let me, let me say something uh, that we say a lot around here. I would encourage you to really pay close attention to the things that are breaking your heart. Not, not, the thing that breaks your heart is not the thing that breaks everybody's heart. Have you noticed that? Like you're really into like these students at this school and this other group is like, I'm really into men who don't know how to be a father figure. And this group over here is like, I really want to, and this is the thing that's breaking my heart. And this international thing is breaking my heart. And then, you know, Sarah McLaughlin and the ASPCA commercial comes on. It's like, ah, oh, the dogs. And that's breaking your heart. Everybody has a thing that breaks their heart, but it's unique to you. It is very possible that, that your window into knowing, like, as a follower of Jesus, what does God want me to do? It's very possible that the thing that is breaking your heart, the thing that the culture is training you to run away from, is the very thing that God is calling you to do something about. The fact that you're aware of it tells me that you should pay attention to it. Pay close attention to the things that break your heart. I, I'm so glad for, for so many reasons that I'm not Jesus. I'd make a terrible Jesus. If I were Jesus and I'm coming up on the end of my day and I've just healed all these people and I told that guy not to go talk about me and he went and talked about me anyway and I had to deal with the Pharisees and I had to deal with this other guy's disciples, I would be so tired at this moment that I would look out and I would see the things that were breaking my heart and I would just close up inside. 
And I would be so scared that there's not going to be enough Jesse to go around that I would reserve some and I would go hide back at home, ignoring this. But that's not what Jesus does. So that he had compassion on them. He looks at the crowd and all the work that's left to be done. You ever, you ever finish a day and you've worked as tirelessly and feverishly as you could. And then you look up, like in a moment of a, just a brief break, you look up and you're like, there's more work to do left today than there is that I just finished. Then there is day left to go. That's kind of what Jesus does. And he looks up and he has compassion on them. And it says, because they were harassed and helpless. He's, he does, he's not brokenhearted because there's more to do. He's not brokenhearted because there's not enough of him to go around. He's brokenhearted because he looks into the eyes of these people and they're just, they're helpless. They're harassed. Who's going to do something if he doesn't? Let me ask you this question. Uh, that, that student who's breaking your heart, who's going to do something if you don't? That, that moment in that co-worker's life that it's just kind of keeping you up at night. You find yourself just waking up in the middle of the night praying for them and their marriage and what they're going through. Who's going to do something if you, if you stop? Who's going to be the one who's praying for them if you ignore that? We, we have to pay attention to what's breaking our heart. He, he looks out and he says, they're just helpless. They're harassed. And then he paints this picture like, like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are not the smartest people in the world. I find myself, I make a lot of mistakes and I think I'm a genius, but I'm not. You know, like, like we, we all, like, we make mistakes. Jesus saves us out of a thing. He's like, and he teaches me something. And it's like a week later, I find myself back in the same hole that I was in. And so, uh, I was, I was doom scrolling on, on TikTok, probably avoiding something that was breaking my heart. And, and, uh, this video came up and I thought it was so, this is a perfect picture of what it's like for Jesse following Jesus. And maybe you'll reflect this as well. Like, what is it like? following Jesus. Look at him. He saved that sheep, that poor sheep. There you go. Yep. Yeah, that's me. Back in the hole. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and Jesus, like that guy, the shepherd, he just looks at him like, come on, man, I just saved you, right? I just got you out of that hole. But, but too much, man. I, I find that something breaks my heart. And Jesus is like, it's breaking your heart because I want you to do something. He pulls me out of my own brokenness, like I'm feeling so sorry for myself. And I go do a thing, and then I just like nonchalantly wander myself back into that hole. Jesus looks at this crowd. He says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're hopeless, helpless. They're harassed. That word harassed is, there's, there's forces in this culture that are just beating down the people that are easy to beat down. And as followers of Jesus, sometimes we get these eyes to see like how the culture is just keeping certain people down because the world says you have to be strong enough and they're not strong enough. Who is going to help them? Before we get to the answer, I just want to highlight like our whole series is like we got to flip some tables out of the way. Um, what, what is it that's making it hard to see God? And I, I think there's probably three things we can pull out of this. One is that sometimes it's hard to see God because our afflictions are so loud that we can't focus on anything else. That man who was blind, that woman who had the issue of discharge, that, that dad whose daughter was dying, the afflictions, the disease, the problems are so loud, you can't hear the message of Jesus. You're so broken and so aware. The wounds are so fresh. You, you're, just, you're just numb to it. Sometimes it's hard to see God because the pain is so, so loud. If that's you and you're just like, I'm in here or I'm watching online or maybe in the future, like the way the internet works, this could make it out there. Like someone sent me this and, and I haven't been paying attention to this because I don't, I don't know why I'm going through so much pain. 
I, I just want to highlight that Jesus is the healer. I'm not. I can't heal all the problems of the world. The only thing I'm capable of doing, I, this, is, this is Jesse's Counseling Skills 101. I'm just going to point you to Jesus. <laughs> like, like, here we go. Like, we're going to talk. I will hear you. That's more than I know what to do with, but Jesus knows what to do with. We, uh, Those of us who are not in that season of affliction need to rush. It's breaking your heart. They're in an affliction so loud they can't hear the message. Then just go sit with them for a while. Risk your heart being broken so that whenever they see a glimpse of the hope that's in you, when they see a glimpse of Jesus in you, you're pointing them to him. He is the good shepherd. Uh, I, am, I am at best a medium shepherd. Sometimes it's hard to see God because our afflictions are so loud and we can't focus. Sometimes it's hard to see God because Jesse chooses to refuse empathy because, oh, it might hurt me too much. I've got a lot going on, you know? I've got a to-do list a mile long, and so do you. Maybe, maybe that knock on the door, maybe that phone call is going to cost me too much. I'm not going to be empathetic, and so I just take a step back. I pretend not to see it. Empathy is going to cost me too much, and I don't enter into it. And when I refuse to enter into someone's brokenness, their afflictions remain too loud to hear God, and I'm not bringing any hope to them at all. Maybe it's hard to see God because their afflictions are too loud. Maybe it's hard to see God because I saw their afflictions and I chose not to bring God to them. I chose not to enter into the quote, their synagogue, their city, or their village. I just, you know, I'm going to protect myself. I'm, self, I'm in self-preservation mode right now, you know. Maybe it's hard to see God because I'm refusing to be empathetic and enter into someone else's pain. Maybe it's hard to see God, and sometimes it is hard to see God because we wander without a shepherd. We just go through this life without confessing Jesus as Lord. You know, to be Lord means that we follow him. He says to go left, and you're like, yeah, but this ditch looks fun again. It's not fun. Last time it wasn't fun. That's how you ended up in the ditch. You know, Jesus is like, no, come this way. Come this way. And when, when we call Jesus Lord, we're willing to follow him as a shepherd. Sometimes it's hard to see God because the last 10 steps I took and the last 10 steps you took were away from the direction you knew he was calling you to. I knew that he was calling me to. And sometimes that direction that he calls me to is to a season of rest. I, I'm, it's time to recharge, Jesse. And sometimes he's calling me, Jesse, it's time for you to get your heart broken over that situation over there. They need you. They need, they need someone to sit with them in that. And I'm calling you to that task. So what do we do? If we need to flip these things out of our way, what do we do? Well, Jesus kind of goes into that in verse 37. Um, after all of this happens, he turns and he looks at his disciples. And he says this, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, I've always read this up until studying for this. I've always read this as like this really stoic, like philosophical moment of Jesus where he's like sitting on the mountain. He's, there's a breeze or the wind is blowing. Probably like his beard is like waving in the breeze. And he says the phrase, the, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then the disciples go think about it for like six hours. Uh, what I now read this as, he's tired and he's done so much work. And he looks out and there's more work to be done. There's more people that need him. There's more people that need hope. There's more people that need healing. Then he has already healed that day and the sun is starting to go down. And he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you, do you guys know uh, that there is a ton of work to be done in the kingdom of God? A ton. You have gifts and skills and talents that if you're sitting there thinking, I sure do wish God would use me for something, the harvest is plentiful. There is plenty to be done. 
Uh, now, I could make this pitch right now. I could begin by like, let's talk about volunteerism in Carpenter's Way. And that's true. There's, there's not a team in Carpenter's Way that isn't looking and trying to recruit in some form or fashion. But let's just think outside the box for a second. There's plenty of things that the Lord is calling you to be a part of that your skills, your gifts, your broken heart is uniquely skilled to meet in your workplace, uniquely skilled to meet in your family, in your marriage, in your friends group. The harvest is plentiful. Maybe our prayer in a moment it's like, you know, we're in a real comfortable place. Maybe, maybe you, you're not in the season of affliction. You're in a real comfortable place. You're like, you know, I have a lot of sympathy. I've been kind of protecting myself from empathy. Maybe your prayer is like, hey, God, I want you to just open my eyes to the need around me. And then just move towards it. The, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then, and then he gives his disciples instructions. He says this, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what do we do? So how do we flip this table? Well, step one is that we pray earnestly. It's an interesting phrase. It's not just pray. Hey, pray to God. Uh, and then, you know, maybe he'll do something. It's pray, pray earnestly. You have anybody that's breaking your heart that you just, like you find yourself as, as your prayer life just seems to be consumed by that other person's needs? You just pray earnestly for them? Where, where all, you're not even talking about yourself. You're, 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 you're just, you're just looking out for them. I, the first church that I served at, I remember, uh, I was trying to think of like a season where I went through. I remember, uh, a kid in the, in the youth group. He would, he would come to me and he'd tell me about like how broken his relationship with, with his dad. And it really hurt him. Like he just wanted his dad to like him, but his dad was really hard on him. And I, at first I'm thinking, oh, I was just being a teenager, right? Just being a kid. Uh, and then I saw it in action. Like his, he would do something and it would be really good. And it would be like really praiseworthy for a dad to be like, hey, son, I'm really proud of you. But dad would just go and say, hey, here's how you could have done that better. This is really, and it just tore him down. I could see it tearing him down. And, and I remember, like, I would just find myself just sitting in the office praying for him and his family. Like, God, just like do something with that relationship. Fix, like, this dad and this son. I don't know if God ever did anything with it, but I remember it was a season for about a month where, like, all my prayers were consumed by this one kid and this one dad to pray earnestly for your marriage, to pray earnestly for your coworker, it's going, it's going to start there. You know, a lot of times I'm exhausted because I think that it all depends on me. Prayer is very often the last thing I do. Once I'm exhausted, I'm like, there's nothing else I can do. I can pray. When Jesus was giving his disciples instructions, it is step one, pray earnestly. Go pray earnestly. And then Pray that God would send some labor. Sometimes it's for us to, to go do. Abraham Lincoln uh, had this phrase and he said something. I'm going to mess up the quote because I didn't write it down. It just popped in my head. But he had this, he had this quote and he says, if I'm ever asked, if I'm ever given six hours to, to chop down a tree, I'm going to sharpen the axe for four hours and then I'm going to chop down the tree. Or it might have been one hour and 45 minutes. The point is Abraham Lincoln with his top hat was a genius. He's like, you know, we, we should begin by sharpening the axe before we do any of the work. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to chop a tree with a dull axe. It's exhausting. It's like the tree beats you up more than you beat the tree up. Uh, we should pray earnestly. That thing that's breaking your heart before you're called to go do anything about it. Maybe check in with the shepherd to make sure it's your job to do something about it. Pray earnestly for that person. Pray for your wife and your husband. Pray for your kids. Pray for your coworker. Pray that the Lord, he says the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. God, please send somebody out. Do something. 
And you may hear in the middle of that prayer, hey, that's for you. Are you willing to go if he calls you? Are you willing to follow your Lord if he calls you into a task? If he's not going to call you, you're willing to ask the Lord of the harvest to send some laborers to that, to that coworker. You know, uh, in closing, I just want to kind of highlight, like, what, what, what do we do as we sum all this up? We, we see God better. We get all these tables out of our way. We see God better when we enter into the heartbreaking places of our world with grace and truth. When, when we're willing to set foot into somebody's uh, life, when, when we're willing to, to move forward into a place that's actually going to cause you pain, you're going to adopt some of their pain, you're going to have a little bit of empathy, we're going to see God better. If you're thinking to yourself, I've been following God for a while, I'm kind of bored in my faith, what am I supposed to do? One thing that may help you see God better is that you move to the spaces that he is actually in. He is in those spaces where people's hearts are broken. In fact, Scripture says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If, if you're like, you know, I'm kind of bored with following God, then maybe step into some heartbreak and you're going to see him. You're going to see God better and they're going to see God better. Then this question, why does it break your heart? This might be a question that you just sit and ponder for a while. Meditate. Why is my heart so broken for that kid's situation? Why is my heart so broken for that student and their family? Why is my heart so broken for somebody else's marriage that isn't even in my home? Why, why is that thing the thing that's breaking your heart? It may be a question that you want to ask God, like, God, why are you causing this thing to break my heart so much? Maybe, maybe he's calling you towards it. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship. We are Christ Jesus' workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared beforehand. It might be that that thing that's breaking your heart is that big red blinking light, like here's your good work with your name on it for you to step into. It's just meant for you. And it may be that it's breaking your heart so that someone out there is praying earnestly for that person's situation. Who am I to say? I'm not your Lord, but I believe that God is powerful enough that if you take that question to him in prayer, it will be a revealing moment and a growth step for you. So as we close, I just want to pray that we would have more empathy, um, that we would enter into more broken spaces, and that we would pray earnestly that God would continue to move and to fill the gaps of the needs around us. And if you're praying and you find like the Lord is calling you to a task, then we want to celebrate that. Um, and if you're like, I'm called to something, I don't know what it is, ask somebody around you like, hey, how can I help? And you may find that your skills, the things that you're most good at, that you think everybody's good at, but nobody else is, is like really unique to you. Uh, you may find that your skills and your gifts are perfect for that need. Pray with me. And we'll watch the, the queue together. Lord, um, we come to you this morning, um, and we admit, you know, just, just like this, there's so much out there that if, that if we're not careful, we feel like, Father, that, that our heart might just completely shatter and never be put back together. Um, Lord, help us. Uh, help us to, to balance empathy well and to, and to walk towards people's pain. Lord, uh, help, help those of us who, that we're, we're the ones that are in pain, not to feel guilty, not to feel the need to step in other people's spaces, but to just rest and be healed in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that you'd protect us from, from trying to work uh, out of our emptiness. Lord, we, we need you. We need to point to you. You were, you were the good shepherd, not us. Father, uh, protect us from hero syndrome uh, and help us to always be a light that's shining uh, towards you, pointing others towards you. 
And Lord, give us the courage to pay attention to what breaks our heart and to earnestly bring that in prayer to you and to explore the reasons that that breaks our heart and to lift up that need um, as a church. We pray, Father, for our community that as a result of the work that we do in this department, that our community would heal and more people would hear the name of Jesus because we entered into their brokenness instead of hiding from it. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.